Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Return to the Temple, a Lucha Underground retrospective podcast. It's a lot of words, a lot of words for this podcast. I am Jacob, and I'm joined, of course, once again, as always, forever, by Steve, my co-host. What's up? You know, now that you've said it like that, I'm going to be replaced next week. Well, actually, what I've done is, without your knowledge, I've just bonded you into an eternal service of podcasting. Oh, no. It, it, has, been, it has been done, and it cannot be undone. Uh, we will conclude all four seasons of Lucha Underground, though it will take us quite a while. But this week, we watched the fourth episode, and yeah. uh, we're still, we'll still figure some stuff out. We are novice podcasters still, but we're continuing to grow. We're continuing to improve, and you can help us with that. We're going to mention this at the end. But just wanted to tell you, if you have any feedback for us, any thoughts about how we can improve or parts of the podcast that you like, feel free to shoot us an email at rttt, that's three T's, rtttpod at gmail.com. Uh, but this week we watched the fourth episode of Lucha Underground called, um, didn't write it down, Dawn of the Hunt? Is that what it was? Thrill of the Hunt. Thrill of the Hunt. Which, uh, um, coincidentally, we won't see in this in this episode. Uh, yeah, not it's it's an interesting name that does not is not relevant, but we'll get into all the stuff I gotta say. Um but before we break down the episode itself, Steve, you wanna tell the, the audience anything? Anything fun happened in your life recently? Anything you wanna share with the fans? Uh well me Legion? Uh well to date the episode, uh me and about everyone else that lives in America went to see uh Spider Man No Way Home. Uh speaking of masked heroes, yeah. Uh and references that are super old now. Uh, really timely with RTT. T. Now I think about it. I really enjoyed that movie. I saw it two days ago. Oh, um, yeah. Because I, I'm back in D.C. Uh, or Bethesda, Maryland. I just said that at D.C. For anyone who wants to stalk me, uh, find my house, track me down. Don't do that, please. Uh, but I'm back here, my hometown, uh, because the semester has ended. I went to Just Like You recently went to no way home and then yesterday guess what i did uh you're gonna be pretty jealous i'll tell you that what did you do i went to the national postal museum uh to learn about the history of the postal service so yeah i was uh having a pretty exciting couple of days dude i have always wanted to go postal i'm so jealous it's a, it is, I'm, no, all jokes aside, it's a very good museum. Very interesting. Yeah. Highly recommend for anyone in the DC area. Uh, but even more exciting, somehow, was this week's episode of Lucha Underground, Thrill of the Hunt, the fourth episode of Lucha Underground, which we're covering on the fourth episode of Return to the Temple, a Lucha Underground retrospective podcast. And what were your initial thoughts before we jump into the episode? Just a, just a brief summary of how you felt after you uh, hit escape from your tab. Hmm. Uh, my first viewing, which was last week, I actually thought it might have been my favorite of the four episodes. Uh, my second viewing, which was just before recording this, a little less so. Uh, I'm a little unsure of my feelings overall. So we'll actually have to see, uh, how things pan out as we go through step by step here. I have to say, my, my feelings on the commentary team have continued to sour, yeah. but... I think that the development of the characters and the development of the action is going very well. I wouldn't call this... I would call this generally a stronger episode than what we've seen in the past, but I think yep. the low point 
of this episode for me is the lowest we've seen so far. Uh, and that, that might be a little bit of a controversial take when we get there. Uh, but we'll, we will get there. Uh, so do we want to jump right into it with how we started off this episode? Let me go back to my notes. Uh, yeah, let's do it. So we do start this episode with a series of, uh, I wanted to bring this up. We've seen them on every episode so far, but it's a series of stock footage shots of Los Angeles. And there's so many of them. Like, I can't imagine how much money they just spent on these stock shots. Uh, there's a couple that look like they filmed them specifically for the show, but most of them seem to be just like Googling Los Angeles stock footage. Dot com. Well, they've got the um, the one cool thing about it is like to add to the atmosphere of Lucha Underground is like this underground fight club. Yeah. In a lot of the stock footage, you'll have these like Lucha Underground stickers or Lucha Underground posters kind of like hidden in innocuous locations in the stock footage shots, which I really like. Yeah. It reminds me of like the Foot Clan from like the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. I don't know if you've seen that. That might be before your time. I'm... I'm aware of it. Uh, okay. I actually, I just saw Fight Club yesterday. I saw Fight I, Club last night. So that is that is my main point of reference for underground fight clubs at the moment. Terrible movie. Would not recommend. Yeah. Uh, but um, obligatory question in this episode of Blue Underground. Obligatory Fight Club question. You're aware it's yeah. satire. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, yes. <laughs> I just didn't like the execution of this. Okay. I'm. I don't. Yeah. I'm. Yeah, I well, we we could have a whole Fight Club podcast where I rag on both the satire and also the people who unironically buy into the satire. Yeah, uh, but I think I I just think it was a little like it was much like Matt Stryker in this episode. Actually, it was <laughs> ego strokingly over poetic. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. That is actually that is the perfect transition. So let us get back into it because I have a lot of Matt Stryker criticism this episode. And so we had the stock footage, and then we started out with Melissa Santos in the ring, right? Uh, we actually start with the commentary desk. They briefly oh. mentioned Chavo Guerrero being public enemy number one. And that leads us right to Sexy Star, who is in the ring. And she does her promo, and it's mostly, it's all Chavo. It's all, she's just calling out Chavo the whole time. Uh, she calls him a cabron. They don't... Uh, they don't put that in the subtitles. Abardo. Uh, yeah. It, it's always funny. I don't speak Spanish, but I speak enough to pick out like when a word isn't the same as what it is on subtitles. Yeah. So like at one point she says something like, um, and listen real good. And then the subtitle is like, listen closely. And I'm like, that's not yeah. what she said. How dare you? Uh, but she seems a lot more natural with, in like, speaking in spanish who who would have guessed like it's actually a pretty convincing promo and then like obligatory obligatory fuck sexy star but i totally agree with you i thought this promo was really really good um one of so her and then um evilly shortly joins her to cut a promo which we'll also mention yeah uh but i think both of them just were really good in like i'm gonna criticize i'm sorry not gonna criticize i'm gonna compliment this whole promo Mm -hmm. contest and then following match a lot but one of the things that i really liked about the promo specifically was it's clear that they have a very very good knowledge of how to work the crowd um both from a babyface and heel perspective i thought it was just like it was it was basic but yeah. it was extremely well executed um so yeah yeah is one of the things i noticed is that uh sexy star partially because of 
doing it in Spanish and then partially just because of uh, the sort of intensity of it. It was a very much what we will come to know as like a classic Lucha Underground type promo. And I mention this because Ivelisse comes down with the most WWE-ass promo I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> She's walking it's... down the stairs like, boo-hoo, you got jumped. Like she does was, like the little miming little, thing. The beginning was a little childish, but I think it kind of works with her character. Like yeah. she's very petulant. She's very like ego-driven, but in not not in like a complex way, just in like a immediate satisfaction way. Yeah. Uh it reminds me of a lot of the, uh, yeah, I, I, it's just, it's just like a very, yeah, it's a very WWE heel way to be. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it still. I still liked it, even though. Yeah, it, it worked. So, um, it was kind of interesting. On the stairs. Oh, did you, did you want to cover Ivelisse's promo in general? Yeah, Ivelisse's promo in general. She basically, she takes a, uh, she takes issue with Sexy Star assuming she's on the same level as the men. Which is really weird at first, but then she, as she kind of goes on, you sort of get the sense that she's like, uh, Ivelisse is that girl in high school that was like one of the guys. Yeah. And she like, doesn't like the idea that anybody else wants to be a part of the club. Like she's the girl that wrestles the guys. Uh, this is actually, I think the first utterance of baddest bitch in the building, which is a great gimmick. Um, Speaking of firsts, this is also the first time I think we've seen live music in uh, Lucha Underground. This was during the intro. Uh, they don't put any notice on it on commentary the way that they will eventually, where they like plug the band and everything. But uh, it's just nice. It, it's a it's a good change of atmosphere, and it again, it's one of the many things that helps Lucha Underground stand out. One of my favorite parts of Lucha Underground is like. Because one of the things I like the most is not the same genre of music. It, it's frequently mariachi mm-hmm. or like another like kind of um, like Latin American genre of music. But yeah. sometimes it'll just be like rock, you know? Yeah. And I like that you don't necessarily know what to expect. And I like that the band always gets their props. And I just think it really goes into like feeding that like this is a venue rather than yeah. a wrestling show, you know? Yeah, it feels uh, very organic. And Baddest Bitch of the Building, a gimmick so good that it got ripped off this year uh, with uh, Britt Baker declaring herself the baddest bitch on the block. Which... Oh, wow. Really? The same alliteration, even. Yeah. And so she started saying that, I feel like, back in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, I got my, like, marquee hopes up that this was going to culminate in Ivelisse feud with Ivelisse yeah. taking the title off of her. And then I remembered um, that Ivelisse is impossible to work with and that that'll never happen. And that she's like, ever since her dis- embarrassing performance against Thunder Rosa, she's probably like totally blacklisted from AEW. Yeah. But uh, I would like it. Yeah, I would too. I'd probably. Outside of Thunder Rosa and. Yeah, that's pretty much it. She'd probably be my favorite woman wrestling in AEW. Um, besides Danny Jordan when she shows up like every blue moon. Big fan of Danny Jordan. Uh, she has a mean girl gimmick. She showed up oh. on. She's mostly a, a dark wrestler. I saw her on NWA ages ago, so she was automatically one of my favorites. I, I need to watch more NWA, but um, yeah, Sexy Star, of course. Evil has had has made appearances on AEW. Yeah, Sexy Star very much has not. <laughs> um, but let's get into the match itself. So after this kind of uh, promo exchange, where Sexy Star is basically like. You're not one of the you're, you're not one of the boys. I'm like I'm I'm barely even a girl. I'm one of the boys. I just I just get along with guys easier, you know. Like, yeah. 
it's it's I like that it's like um it's the heel has an internalized misogyny gimmick <laughs> which is good you know because yeah. that's one of the things that especially during this period WWE was struggling with a lot was just like diva wrestling which actually comes into a call a call that I like on commentary yeah uh where it was a lot of like women fighting each other over who's the prettiest or who has like like the heel was like you're ugly yeah and or, or the heel would be like you know i'm hot and the baby face would just also be like i'm hot you know that was what the whole feud was about was like yeah. who's hotter and at the same time ivelisse is over here doing like meta commentary on like patriarchal power structures <laughs> yeah uh and i think that's really awesome uh like like her her beef with sexy star is rooted in this like internalized misogyni- misogynistic view of like I get along with men, which means that I have more value than you, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's like, the, it's a good example of like the twisted worldview that a heel has to have to be believable. Um, and it just, I think it works really well. Yeah. I don't know if you was thinking on, about it on that level. Yeah. I hope she was, I'm going to give her the credit of saying that she was, yeah. uh, it, is there anything you want to say more about the promo exchange before we jump into the match? Uh, not particularly. Uh, although I did find the uh, delivery of you cover your ugly face with that, ugly mask i thought that was yeah. just like a really fun delivery <laughs> she like flips her hair like what, what i liked about it is that like by setting it up like that she was able to prompt the crowd booze before she even said the line yeah because she was like she was making it very clear this is where i'm going with this so as soon as i say the line you erupt in a chorus of booze that's yeah. exactly what happened and i thought it was great um just very intelligent uh crowd working from both of them the match started and this was i'm gonna say it right now this was my match of the night so good uh once again basic but basic executed to the best of its ability yeah and uh like this was like a five-star basic match (laughs) and i thought that was great so uh ivalice basically pastes sexy star with a slap or maybe it happens the other way around i can't remember yeah and uh no sorry sexy star pastes ivalice with the slap just absolutely zonks her with it uh then gets the early headlock in this leads to a relatively even exchange of holds, but Sexy Star is able to take the advantage with a big Hurricane Rana and follows up with a drop kick. She runs into the corner where she has sent Ivelisse to try to press the advantage, but Ivelisse is able to get out of the way and kind of hit her with a drop toe hold of sorts and yep. sent her face careening into the middle turnbuckle. Ivelisse just brutally stomps her head into the turnbuckle. like her, So she's face first in the turnbuckle and Ivelisse just stomps on the back of her head. It looks sick. Yeah. Um, throws Sexy Star down on the ring says oh she's so pretty and then smashes her face on the ground mm-hmm. uh vampiro brings up his divorce <laughs> uh, call the night <laughs> yeah that was something um well at the beginning of this match i'll talk about that call um yeah. vampiro says this is anti-diva wrestling which i really liked and yeah. i agree with you know this is like this is wrestlers wrestling it's not like yeah two two divas fighting about who can have the i don't know most muscular boyfriend yeah he uh he suffers a little bit of commentator's curse at the very beginning but we'll get to that after the you're done summarizing um yeah we'll yeah have more uh more commentary notes for after the match i yeah. think you can guess for what direction that's going in um ivelisse fires some powerful kicks into sexy star to keep her grounded and then fish hooks the mask really br- brutally which goes into you know she was trash talking like the mask specifically yeah at the beginning of the match and then that comes into the actual psychology of the match which i like uh there's a strike contest between the two of them where they're just 
for forearming the hell out of each other. Just boom, 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 boom. Uh, Sexy Star hits a big code breaker to break the uh, strike strike contest. Yeah. Hits the Dos Amigos. Um, so it gets two out of the three suplexes. Yeah. Uh, goes for the pin. Ivelisse kicks out. They both start to recover, and Ivelisse destroys Sexy Star with a huge slap across the face. Gets the guillotine choke and like, like gets the momentum on it so that she like yeah. like hooks her up and turns it into a DDT like a like a guillotine DDT and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the ref botches the two count a little bit on it, so it looks like he counts three. Because yeah, he starts so weird. counting the pinfall before Ivelisse actually makes the cover. Yeah. So his hand does hit the mat three times, but only after the second, only after the first hit does Ivelisse actually get on, like make the pin. Yeah, both so times I watched count. that, I got a little confused. Like, I thought that first slap might have just been the sound of him hitting the mat the first time. Just getting yeah, down just, there. Just but the count early. Um... But then, uh, so the Evil East manager, sorry, pardon me, Sexy Star manages to kick out of the DDT. They both start to recover, but Sexy Star too quick, gets a great pin in combination, hooks the arm, goes around, uh, pulls on the leg, yeah. and uh, rolls her up to get that one, two, three. A fantastic pinning combination. It worked really well. I really, really like this match. Okay. And in fact, uh, before we get into commentary conversation, sure. this contained my dope star moment of the night and that is a new thing for the podcast which we have been meaning to do since the beginning but our dope star moment of the night and i'm going to lay out a little bit of legislation for it here is our favorite moment of the night however it must be something that we enjoyed unironically it must not only be something that we liked it must be good so for example as much as i might enjoy matt striker doing something really dumb on commentary that cannot be my dope star moment of the night Dope Star Moment of the Night has to be something that is of high quality. Yeah. Uh, and so my Dope Star Moment of the Night was the spot where Ivelisse does the guillotine DDT. That's a good moment. It's a good moment. Thank I totally you. forgot to pick one ahead of time. So we'll have to, hopefully I get one on the way there. Hopefully now that we've, we've yeah. put it in the, in the we, it's something that we've been meaning to do literally every week since now, yeah. uh, until now. And now I finally remembered by writing it in ahead of time. And I'm hoping that this is going to be the thing that gets us in the habit of actually remembering to do it. Um, but anyway, that was the spots. Do you want to talk about commentary and then we'll give it our Mosgarth rating? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So commentator, uh, commentary, it starts off, it's kind of weird. So overall, I feel like Matt Stryker didn't necessarily lower the weird shit. He just, it feels like he padded around it with like normal commentary more. Yes. As opposed to last week where it was just the weird shit. And on this one, like, it, there's, like, little stuff where I'm like, okay, good, okay. Um, the At the very beginning of the match, I felt a little bad for him because he goes, this is anti-diva wrestling. And at that point, they're rolling around on the floor. And you're like, oh, shit. Uh, and the, they're rolling around on the floor, but they're rolling around the floor doing holds. Yeah. Well, they're fighting. It's not like uh, hold yeah. holds. It, it, it doesn't it's not like classic like attitude era cat fighting but it is a little catty yeah uh, but i would say yeah it, it cleans yeah. up after that but the one thing that i'll say before that yeah. is they go on to have they have a very technical match yes but before the match starts matt striker's like we're not going to be calling a lot of wrestling moves it's going to be a lot of hair pulling and you know cat fighting and that's not at all what he like totally takes the credit away from this match before it even begins yeah, he's he says it's totally going to be a brawl. Literally, 
I think he does it to correct himself when he sees them hit the ground. And he's like, oh, this is what they're going to do. And then immediately after, like, he sort of compensates and tries to say, like, it's not going to be a lot of wrestling moves. Sexy Star slaps on a side headlock. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, man, Stryker just can't win today. <laughs> like, every time he says something, they just go in the opposite direction. And he's like, well, fuck. Um, I have three Matt Stryker lines highlighted here. All right, go for it. Uh, do we want to do? Do we want to do the Vampiro talking about his divorce first, or do we want to focus on uh, Striker? Yeah, I like that one a lot. That might actually be my dope star moment of the night, right off the bat, because that made that's one of the few bits that has actually made me laugh on this commentary. Because he goes, so, there, so Matt Striker says it. something like, uh, "In your time wrestling, did you ever, you know, mix it up with women and intergender stuff? You know, and." Vampiro says, uh, no, nah, that's not for me, man. I was married for seven years. And Stryker goes, and how did that go? Now, before I hit the punchline, I just like to say, when you hear that, you kind of clench a little bit because you're like, ooh, that implies domestic violence, Vampiro. Yeah. But Vampiro saves himself because he goes, I did the job, brother. <laughs> and that's fucking hilarious. And Stryker... Uh just goes don't we all <laughs> yeah it was that was really funny um yeah it was more of a, i think it was more of a that definitely implied that it was more of like a philosophical or like emotional difference of opinion <laughs> yeah. rather than physical ones yeah um or d- doing the job in terms i my first thought was oh that must have been a very unfortunate divorce settlement <laughs> yeah yeah it was either that or it's just like the sort of the uh, the stereotypical like uh don't marry a crazy woman stories yeah well my i mean why my, my wallet does the job every time like i go out on a date night so i i kind of feel his pain hey um just hit her with a but, worked uh, ddt every once in a while it'll be fine oh on, on my girlfriend yeah i said worked audience yeah okay for for reference i said worked all right and well, you know, who knows? That could go over very well. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, so for the match, she just stuff, sells I it. Three lines highlighted. All right. Um, she's a worker, brother. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Um, he makes curious choices, and I have highlighted two two lines about those curious choices. So as you may remember, for frequent listeners of the podcast, last week. Matt Stryker, uh, during the Mill Marcus match, was making a lot of comments about how attractive Katrina was. Yeah. And we agreed that while they were excessive, they were at their core appropriate because her purpose was to is to be a beautiful woman as a manager. Yeah. However, Eva Lee in this match, while she is very attractive, I'm not disputing that, mm-hmm. is be is presented here as an athlete and doesn't have like she isn't in this match like presenting her body Mm -hmm. she is here wrestling a wrestling match and as a result matt striker still chooses to add in all of these comments on ivalice being attractive but has to like force them in because that's not like what she's doing on purpose yeah so like she just like hits a move i think this is when she like trips her into the corner and then, like, like throws her out of the corner, like, throws Sexy Star out of the corner, and she, like, goes to, like, I, I forget what she goes for. I think, oh, this is when she's going to go, this is before she goes to slam her head into the mat. And, um, Matt Stryker's like, ah, yes, 
Serpentarius, the Constellation of Lust, which also highlights on another one of my Matt Stryker pet peeves. So he just says that out of nowhere. There's no snake-like movement going on. Nothing hey, like that. Um, the, uh, the Constellation of Lust is sexy star, but fancy. Is that what he's t- talking about? Yeah, pretty sure. I don't know what that first fucking name word was because it wasn't. I don't know exactly what he meant by that. But that second one is literally just a, a synonym for a sexy star. I thought he was <laughs> saying that Serpentarius is the constellation of lust. Possibly. So either way, what this is <laughs> is like Matt Stryker both being like overly poetic and overly objectifying. Yeah. Like so that like Matt Stryker, I, I wrote this later just needs to talk less um he'll just like say words yeah and and they just like just because they occur to him and are like tangentially related to things that are going on yeah but they don't actually help the match in any way like the constellation of lust i was literally thinking about that i was like what the hell does that even mean and i like missed the next spot that happened yeah uh but the that one is a little it's, it's weird but it's less offensive the one that really bothers me is um Ivalice has sexy star. Um, she's got the knee in the back and like the the uh, she's got the rear chin lock on. Yep. And she's like yelling at sexy star. And she's like, you know, you stupid bitch and stuff like that. Yeah. And Matt Stryker says, "Oh, some seductive trash talking from Ivalice." <laughs> and there's, it's just trash talking. There's nothing seductive about it. If it was a male wrestler, you wouldn't say that. Like. And there's no difference here. Like, th- th- this is the same as, like, if, you know, Mr. Cisco was, like, doing some trash talking. It's, 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 it's the same energy. But for some reason, because it's Ivalice doing it, it becomes seductive trash talk. And that really bothers me. Yeah, that was a weird call. I thought you were going to mention the, the, the fish hooking thing where he says, is that kind of hot? That's like That one yeah. was, like, that one was just so off base that I didn't even, like, I didn't even know where yeah. to go with that. You feel free to talk about that one if you'd like. I, know, I just thought it was like, uh, Stryker is getting a better handle on like what is weird to think is hot and what isn't. Because yeah. <laughs> last week he said that about something like that is 100% meant to be titillizing. Yeah. And then this week he, he actually did something that was weird and then delivered a line about asking if it was weird. So that's fair enough. Can you imagine if this came out, if this came out in 2021, he'd just be doing a bunch of like memes. Like he would just be like, I'd let her step on me, vamp. <laughs> like... Oh no! Oh my god! <laughs> he would definitely call it Katrina, like the Demet. I don't know how to pronounce her name from the Resident Evil game. Yeah, he would be like, "Oh, certainly the lady Demetrisu." Demetrisu from yeah. I don't know. I haven't actually played the game. Yeah. But he anyway, so those two lines were ones that were whatever, not great, yeah. but not terribly like, like, you know, unnecessary, but didn't bother me terribly. It, it was more of an eye roll than like an actual like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Yeah. The line that got me and I think you, I think you remember called this. This was right near the finish. Mm-hmm. Um, this was right after Evilly slapped Sexy Star and was about as was going for the guillotine choke. Yeah. Matt Stryker has the line. Oh, you know, I have four sisters, and this is how it was every morning fighting for the bathroom. What a way to remove all agency from these professional athletes. Comparing them to, like, high schoolers squabbling over who gets to put their makeup on first. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's it that is inexcusable. That line is so bad. <laughs> they have been working. It would be one thing if he said that at the beginning of the match, like back mm-hmm. with like the oh, this is going to be a lot of cat fighting. But yeah. we have just watched an incredibly hard hitting, very technical, very story driven match that is, in my opinion, easily the best match of the night, and also the best match of last week, and also the best match of the week before that. Yeah. Uh, Mundo and um, the, the two matches from before with um, Mundo and Puma. Uh, yeah surpass it but like this was still this was incredible and you right at the finish take all the stakes away by comparing these like professional athletes to your sisters fighting for the bathroom like it's pathetic it's pathetic and it's the most offensive thing and when i say offensive i don't mean like i'm offended i mean like really bad um the most bad thing that has been said on commentary in the four episodes we've watched so far. And I'm including everything that happens in the rest of this episode. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I can't really, uh, I'm not going to defend the honor of the call because it's a bad call, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It just kind of, it was one of those things where I was like, honestly, when he said it, my first thought was like, uh, yeah, Jacob's going to have something to say about that. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, um like am yeah. i wrong though like is it not at that level like that that's the only like no it is it is bad is, it's just not like um it I felt like he was playing. he was trying to recapture the the magic of the divorce joke and he just missed yeah it. i i get that um, um well, maybe he shouldn't be trying to get himself over it he should be trying to get over the wrestlers that are wrestling in the wrestling ring on the wrestling show have you met commentators uh anyway <laughs> Um, actually, you know what this reminded me of? That's totally unrelated to Lucha Underground. Have you ever seen the movie Warrior? No. Oh. Um. So spoilers for uh the cl- climax of the movie Warrior for anybody. Um, it's a movie about two brothers who enter a tournament, and uh, what you might be surprised to find is that they end up fighting each other in the tournament. I I know um oh crazy plot twist but the commentators find out about it the fact that find out that they're related and one of the lines that one of the commentators says he goes uh they're going back and forth he goes pack up the china mom the boys are at it again which is just the first thing that popped into my head because i always couldn't decide if that was a good call or a bad call (laughs) it's really funny (laughs) it's just siblings and fighting Commentators getting themselves over is one thing. Yeah. I do commentary. Sometimes I try to get myself over. Yeah. But I never do it. Yeah. Never. At the expense of the match. I might say a funny line, but it has to be, or what I think is a funny line, because I'm not very funny, but I try my best, during like an early moment in a match or during a lull in a match not during the finishing sequence and not something that buries the wrestlers that are wrestling, you know, like it, it just, it's, it's not only incompetent, it's embarrassing. He should be embarrassed. And I I will have to say, so you, you did point out my additional sensitivity. One thing that has helped with that is I have been watching this episode and the last one with my girlfriend and, you know, having her perspective there has, has helped me clock some of the misogyny that I wasn't picking up on my first watch. Yeah. Um, and she had a very visceral reaction to that line because she had been loving this match. She, I've, she has watched some AEW with me, and she is very disappointed with their women's division because uh, she wants to see good women's wrestling. And yeah, this match was like eye-opening for her. 
this was like one of her this is maybe her favorite wrestling match she's ever seen because these two women were given so much agency and so much time in this match and then to have Matt Stryker like suck all the importance out of it right at the end was like really really disappointing for her and it really bummed her out and definitely impacted her enjoyment for the rest of the show and so I'm thinking about it not only from my perspective but like they're trying to advertise to an untapped audience of female wrestling fans that are feeling alienated from WWE because of uh, the way that the product is at this time. Yeah. And they're totally failing because of Matt Stryker. I, I would assume they're totally failing on doing that because of Matt Stryker's like rampant misogyny during these matches. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, you're right. It's just... um. I don't really know what to add because it's mostly the same shit, right? It's like Matt Stryker gets horny. Matt Stryker says weird shit. Uh, and usually the female members of the roster suffer for it. Uh, I promise to everyone that I'm not going to talk about this anymore for this episode. That was okay. all the, that was all the Matt Stryker. That was the Matt Stryker misogyny hour. Yeah. Um, Matt Stryker misogyny corner. Yeah. Uh, but, I only have one more note on this match. Please. And that is uh, is completely random. Did you notice Ivelisse's uh, tape? Ivelisse's what? Tape. Oh, on her um, chest? On her shoulder? Yeah. Yes. All I have noted is it's the most invisible athletic tape I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I've never... Uh, I didn't catch it on my first watch, but I caught it on this time around. I was like, oh, what is that? Yeah, it's almost every time you see tape in wrestling, it's like as bright as possible. And this one actually looked like she was trying to hide it. Which is either she because she was really trying to hide it, or it's good psychology because you would try to hide it. Um But we jumped from it there. Like it was more like it looked like a like like a bandage rather than like muscle tape, you know? Like it looked yeah. like she had like gotten a cut or something. Yeah. Uh, um Oh, and another thing we should mention, considering that these two women have the reputation they have, it's cool that they had a really good solid match together 100 uh, evil east was calling this match by the way oh i didn't uh, I don't catch know if you that. Up on that no which i think um i think satiated both of their egos yeah. so sexy star got over but evil east got to call it yeah that makes sense so it was i think that, that's what you need if you're gonna have evil east and sexy star yeah. have a match yeah that's send that to tony uh <laughs> Well, um, we go from there to a legendary debut of... Oh, wait, the... wait, Mascaras. Ah, Mascaras. Good point. I like that you say it more accurately than I do. Um, Try my best. Taking that Duolingo Spanish. 52-day streak, baby. Yeah. I'm going to give this three and a half uh, Mascaras out of five. Because it was just... It was, it was good. It just... It did its this thing. really hit the spot for me. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I get where you're coming from, and that's fair. I'm gonna give it four and a half. Four and a half. That's I really like this match. That is, I think, equal to the rating that you gave Puma Mundo. Yeah. That's pretty high praise. I just I thought that like because it wasn't just obviously like it could have been and I I'm I'm yeah. very much one thing that I'm trying to do is grade it on what we've seen so far. Okay. You know, I know that Lucha Underground could reach much higher heights and that this 4.5 is a lot less valuable than a 4.5 I might give in season two. Yeah. But on grading on the curve that we what we've seen so far, this match was, while it was basic, 
everything was sharp every move was committed to it was they were having they weren't going through the motions as i'm gonna have a problem with later yeah they were having a full wrestling match where it was athlete versus athlete you know person versus person they were putting it all out there and i i loved it i bought into all of it great four and a half stars four and a half mascaras yeah i thought it was real good i think one of the things that's helping it scores wise is that if there's an element that's been missing a little bit from lucha underground so far it's consistent story through matches Mm -hmm. i feel like probably like six out of ten of them or seven out of ten of them so far have been mostly just either all spot or all story right where it's either something like puma uh mundo or it's something like uh Buertes, uh ricky mandel yes i i always struggle with his last name as well uh he spoilers he changes it which is why I, uh what does he change it to spoilers oh okay um which is why i i delayed on it for a little bit but yeah where it's almost it's seems to so far be almost always like Let's do a bunch of shit, which we're going to see two examples of coming up. Or let's do a whole bunch of character stuff. And this one seemed to balance it a little bit more. Uh, further on the character side, I think. I could have used like one really good holy shit moment, for lack of a better term. I feel the same way. So that's that's why... So my feeling was for the um, Puma Mundo match. It yeah. was really, really good for that and for the story, but it didn't have that snap that I wanted. Yeah. Like like some of the moves just lacked a little bit of dynamism. This had that, but it didn't have that woe moment. And so that was the half mascarade that I deducted from each of those matches. And But because of that, because everything else was there, I felt like it was fair to give it the same rating. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I'm not going to like take your, uh, your mascarade rating to the, um, to the board. Or anything. So yeah, you're not you're not gonna have the uh, the Lucha Legion dispute it. Yeah, no. Maybe we should do that at some point. We'll set up like a straw poll or something. Uh, let's do the next segment now. Um, but I really really enjoyed all of that. Um, I'm hoping that so we have not yet hit your dope star moment of the night, which I am uh very excited for. Uh, let's talk about what happened next. So we get to the uh, what I stated before. Uh, the infamous Lucha Underground bathroom where more important things happen than in any other bathroom on the planet Earth that isn't in Washington, D.C. The bathroom <laughs> is to... That's funny. Yeah. Uh, the bathroom is to Lucha Underground as the parking lot is to NXT. Yeah, it's pretty... That's a very good analogy i don't know what the current and what the nxt 2.0 parking lot is like maybe they put up some safety rails or something there has been i think there has been at least two parking lot incidents already. okay okay that's good keeping the tradition alive but we see uh drago in the bathroom which just the concept of an eldritch ancient dragon person hanging out in the shitter already a good time not doing anything either. Just looking at himself in the mirror. Just pondering uh, his own reflection. Presumably the first time he's seen running water, right? Like he's just befuddled. And Dario Cueto uh, shows up behind him. 
and he kind of doesn't really you know he says this stuff like uh i heard you were this great uh luchador that drago he puts a lot of like mystique on him and then is like but you lost he goes you didn't win but you didn't or you didn't lose but you didn't win either uh referring to the triple threat that was last week he says well now i'm gonna put you to the test i'm gonna and he says something really weird considering who he's introducing where he says uh you're gonna go up against the face of savagery which uh is king cuerno whose uh gimmick is not savage at all no he's kind of the opposite he's kind of the lucha underground equivalent to randy orton yeah um and we'll talk more about his gimmick when they give us a package for him in a moment. Uh, but this was uh, this was just a, a, a pretty good, fun promo uh, in the bathroom. How many how many conversations with your boss do you have in the bathroom on a, a daily basis? Zero. Um, yeah. um, if, I mean, I haven't. Have I talked to any professors in the bathroom? I don't think so. Yeah, and has it been like vaguely intimidating? Or, like, threatening? (laughs) No. So, as I mentioned before, I just wanted to talk about two quick things for this Cueto and Drago segment. Uh, The first one is that we do get... uh, I I went back and I checked it. Triple threats are called three-way matches in Lucha Underground. So, that is how we will be trying to refer to them. So, in Lucha Underground, when we see three people having a match together, it is a three-way. Also, Cueto has that line to Drago where he says, You didn't lose, but you didn't win. Some companies have it so that if you're not, or if you're not the one who gets the pinfall or submission in a triple threat match, you lose, even if you're not the one who got pinned and submitted. And I agree with that personally. I think that, you know, in kayfabe, if you're the person getting pinned and submitted, it makes sense why you lose. But if you're the person who fails to break it up, that's just as much of a lack of skill. Like, for example, when a tag team is going up against another tag team, if you're the tag partner that doesn't get pinned, you still lose because you failed to break up the pinfall. I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but in Lucha Underground, that's not how it works. The winner wins, and the person who gets pinned is the one who loses, and the person who's not involved is just also there. Yeah. Uh, so kind of minor, but just good setting groundwork for what we're going to see in the future. Yeah. Lucha Underground also doesn't have, like, strict records. So yeah. it's a little loosey-goosey on stuff like that. Uh, it's more like you lose with an asterisk, I think. Yeah. Um but yeah, we move on from the uh the bathroom of legends to an in-ring promo from Pentagon. Despite by the way the fact that this promo like the bathroom segment leads right into what you would expect to be Drago's match. But instead Pentagon's standing in here like, "Oh, I guess we're doing something else." Yeah. Um he comes out and he he says a couple interesting things. Uh, he starts off the promo talking about like in Mexico, no one respects me, uh, not the other wrestlers, not the uh, promoters, and then he says not the uh, not the other pentagons, which I thought was weird because I thought there was only one other pentagon. But uh, and then he he thanks Cueto for respecting him, and then he uh, he says. Uh, what I'm about to do, the Phoenix, is going to pale in comparison to what I do to anybody else who steps in my way. Uh, Soy Pentagon Jr. Cero Miedo. Um, 
just a this is not like final form pentagon but God, i hope not honestly it's just refreshing to see him intense a lot of the AEW stuff i've seen he's just so it, it feels a little bit like he's just doing the same old thing and with this one it feels new it feels like he's trying something um, yeah, it, it feels new, but it's clear he doesn't have the execution down yet. Or, I mean, I hope he gets it eventually because I yeah. gotta say, I found this to be a very mid-tier promo. Um, it uh, felt kind of just like, like terminally generic with like, I don't get the respect I deserve, so yeah. I'm gonna hurt people about it. You know? Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not anything to write home about if it wasn't Pentagon Jr. doing the promo. It's only in the com- broader context of who this wrestler is and who he's he does deliver it really yeah. well. I have to say, yeah, the delivery's good. Um, it's more so the content that's lacking a bit, uh, which I think is a, a, a big theme with Lucha Underground as a as a as a whole that we go on. And I feel like as the season starts to build, much like any other tv show and they can start calling back to other stuff that happens on the show more yeah we'll get a lot more pathos coming out of these performances yeah it's like it's difficult with like he has to be generic because he hasn't done anything yet so he can't reference like his legacy and lore in lucha underground so i totally know i I understand yeah uh but we have phoenix makes his entrance after that promo concludes and uh, I hope you're happy because you have poisoned me forever on Phoenix's theme because now I cannot unhear how much it sounds like Believer. Yeah, it changes once you hear like the bass line come in because it's mo- it's yeah. just the it's just the drums that are the same. But the um, yeah, honestly, I don't know. It's like some sort of weird spell with Lucha Underground themes, particularly both Phoenix's and Penta's. Is that I'd never appreciated them as much until I listen to them by themselves. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually kind of a jam. And now when I hear it, I almost hear it. When I hear it in the show, I almost hear it more clearly because I'm familiar okay. with it. Cause it is very, oh. it is a very low mix is one of the things about the show. A lot of times somebody will come out and you can't really even hear what their theme is. I will listen through some Lucha Underground themes yeah. because I, that that is a way that I have felt consistently through my whole lucha underground experience is like that the themes were not very central um in a way that they're kind of central in wwe and AEW, where like you know even people's gimmicks relate to their theme songs yeah so i would definitely want to pay more attention to people's uh themes you know i'm gonna run over the spots for this match and then we'll kind of analyze um, it uh one thing the okay. about the themes last week did you or i'm assuming you didn't notice but weirdest thing phoenix comes out to the theme that he comes out to tonight. And when he wins, they play a different song. Yeah, I kind of noticed that. It was like, it sounded like a lot more, um, like, energetic almost. Yeah, it was less, it was less of a groove, and it was more sort of just like rock riff number 782. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, Thankfully, they go away from that in this was it is that not just like i figured that was just like a different part of the same song i don't believe so there is a part oh. where it kind of gets a little quicker but it's i don't think it's the same song yeah yeah i i if, if that comes back we'll uh we'll make note of it but uh yeah. i'll go over spots here i have to say so this was I'll, I'll start off by saying this was my low point of the night 
uh, I found this match to be fun to watch, but I did not think it was very good. Uh, I think it had no story and almost no psychology. Except yeah. at the very, very beginning. Yeah, I but... was... I was a smidge... Uh, considering who's in it, I was a smidge disappointed with it. That was um, that was part of it for me, too. You know, if I, if I didn't hold Phoenix, especially, <laughs> and also Penta in such high yeah. regard, I wouldn't feel this way. I, I guess the thing that also... Uh, I'll, let me go over the, the spots first, and then I'll, then I'll analyze it more fully. Yeah, go for it. But... So we have some just like quick hold exchanges at the beginning. Penta is able to get the advantage with a big gut kick. They kind of exchange pinning combinations. Um, Phoenix is able to roll up Penta, and then Penta does the same. But they're both able to kick out. After a similar kind of sequence of exchanges, Phoenix is able to get a standing moonsault. Uh, I will. I have a note here that I'm going to bring up at the end, so let me just separate this from everything else so I remember. Uh... Oh, yes. So great, crazy spots in this match. A springboard leg drop from Phoenix. So just he gets a huge amount of height and just comes down right on his ass. And it looked incredibly painful for him. Yeah, uh, but it's super impressive. Penta hits this incredible super kick that uh, Phoenix is a full flip uh, when he takes. Phoenix is able to recover later and hits a double springboard drop kick. So bounces from one rope to the next, delivering big missile drop kick right to the head of Penta sends them to the outside and hits a corkscrew tope over the top rope. They brawl on the outside for a little bit, send it back inside. And Penta's able to hit a rebound star jammer in the corner, which I really like, just came over. That is one thing that I'll always like, is, is uh, Penta star jammers are, like, perfect. They're impactful. They're solid. They don't have... One thing that really irks me when people do a, a backstabber or a star jammer, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is when they do the big flip bump after it. So, like, you come down with the knees and the person like pops up and does like a full 360 and then splats on the ground. I like yeah. when it's like a solid takes the wind out of you. Like when you hit that move, they're, they're limp. Yeah. I like that a lot. It feels more penetrating than concussive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Penta obliges the cutter again. So uh, Phoenix goes for that uh, rebound handspring cutter leaps yeah. up in the air. Penta obliges by leaping forward head first to receive it, which I did not like. Yeah. Uh, Penta hits that big Michinoku driver, um, big Quinn driver, uh, right on the back of the neck. Phoenix regains his momentum after a little bit. Starts coming off the ropes, but Penta cuts him off with a sling blade. Yeah. Uh, Penta then goes, uh, hits that awesome wheelbarrow sunset face buster, which he now does as a combo move with Phoenix when they're uh, tagging together. Oh, yeah. Um, but this is, the, this is the solo version. And it looks really good. Penta goes to the top rope. This is undoubtedly my spot of the night. Phoenix leaps like seven feet in the air to yeah. catch Penta with an enziguri. It's incredible. The camera angle doesn't do it justice, yeah. but this is like a ridiculous height that he manages to get to. And so Penta is stunned at the top rope, which allows Phoenix to hit the top rope Spanish fly to get a big victory. Um, and I was too cruel with this match. So I'm going to add a half mask right now. So I felt that this suffered from intense spot monkey syndrome uh they really just it felt super rehearsed there yeah. felt like there was no story someone would hit a big move like um what was the big example of this penta hits the cut uh, penta hits the backstabber yeah gets a near fall off of it and they're back on the, their feet at the same time yeah uh that and then, and then which is why uh phoenix is immediately able to hit that cutter like it just felt like everyone popped up immediately from moves 
and it was like the top rope Spanish fly happened and it was like, oh, I guess that's enough, you know, because nothing, nothing else. It wasn't like a progression of like we're starting out with one counts, then moving into two counts, and then it's like 2.99. It was just two counts, two counts, two counts, matches over. Yeah, this um, this felt like, uh, so similar to last week's triple threat, where it felt like, okay, just go out and do a match. But I think this was almost like the exact same match. The only difference being was that there was nobody to roll to the outside mm-hmm. and like sell the offense. So instead of somebody new coming in and doing another spot, they would just get up and do another spot as if it was a fresh guy. Um, it meant that no one was selling. Yeah. I did want uh, to take a note of uh, Pentagon's. A lot of the like the strikes and a lot of them like the what I, I would call like the the connective tissue of the match. They're like tapping each other. They're being very floaty. Um, yeah, I, I felt if you look at the really at the beginning when they're doing that like little like um, yeah the the thing that really stuck out to me is like Phoenix does this kick that gets quote deflected by Penta. But yeah. there's no force behind it. He's just putting his leg out there for Penta to like push on it. Yeah. And that was like the the reason why this match stuck out so harshly to me. Yeah. Uh was because I know what they're capable of. Like yeah. Phoenix now is such like he has matured so much um in terms of like the dynamism that he puts on his individual moves, not just the athleticism that he's able to put in the entirety of his matches. It felt like Phoenix was like, oh, this is the part where I kick. This is the part where I do this move. And he was just doing the moves as opposed to really, like, putting all the force into every single move. It's something that I got a lot from the previous match that I didn't get from this one. Yeah. And that was that was my big problem with um, it. The one that that I, I think was probably my favorite individual move of the night uh, was Pentagon's uh, as... Matt Stryker calls it again, Tanahashi, his sling blade. I've seen, there's four or five guys that really like sling blades. There's obviously, there's Tanahashi. Um, Finn Balor hits it, Seth Rollins hits it, Pentagon hits it. There's probably a few others, I just don't watch enough current stuff to know. Pentagon is the only guy I, I feel like who hits it, and it it feels like he's driving the guy down when he does it. Like, he, he's trying to pull their head off. It's great. Yeah. He puts, like, it's one of those, it's a weird thing. I don't know how it comes off as more forceful, but it just does. Uh, and it feels like a real, like, hurtful move instead of, like, when I see, like, Finn Balor or Seth Rollins do it, I'm like, oh, they're doing the thing. But when Pentagon does it, it looks like a super kick or a lariat or just sort of anything devastating and quick. Um, when I see, um, I, I think the answer to this question, in my opinion, is when I see Finn Balor or Seth Rollins do it, it feels like they're doing it to like cut off momentum. Yeah. Like the guy is coming off and they use this move to stop that person from moving and put them down. Pentagon uses it like less defensively, I guess. Yeah. He uses it like, I'm doing the move to you. It's, it's not a response yeah. to you running at me. It's my, it's me using this as offense to drive you into the mat and to pull your head off your shoulders. Yeah. Um, and I think that the intention behind it is what differentiates it as m- looking much more impactful. Yeah, it is. It's the opposite of the rebound lariat, where the rebound lariat, when you like intend to do it on purpose, looks like shit. Mm-hmm. And when you try to work it like as a response, it looks pretty good sometimes. 
Whereas with the sling blade, I feel like when you do it as a response, it maybe looks a little meh, but when you do it as direct offense, it feels more appropriate. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, but that's really all I had to say as far as like uh, critique on the match. Uh, this uh, just... I had one line that I really liked. Go for it. Uh, Phoenix pastes Penta with a kick on the outside, and Vampiro says he'll need a visa to find his mug after that <laughs> one, which I thought was just very silly. All right, that's pretty good. Um, commentary was pretty good. Um, obviously, it's yeah. men, so Matt Stryker is able to take them seriously. Also, just uh, a lot of spots back to back to back to back to back. So yeah, he doesn't have time to think about uh, it. <laughs> the adrenaline was very high. Yeah. Um, how many mascots are you thinking? I'm going to say three. Three mascots. I I was struggling um, between two and 2.5. Yeah. And I felt that two was not charitable enough because I enjoyed watching the match. It, it was exciting. It's clear that Penta and Phoenix are great athletes. The yeah. match, in terms of its structure and psychology, is just very lacking. So I'm going to give it a 2.5. Yeah. Um, it almost... I've never said this before, but it almost feels like they know each other too well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like they're, they are like it, it feels it feels like they're um going over this match beforehand rather than this is the actual match itself. Yeah, like this is the house show version of the match. Yes. I agree. Um Or even them just like planning it out like in an empty ring, you know. Yeah. Uh but fun, and I would say kind of like tapping into the be- tapping into a little bit of what we know they're capable of, which we'll see a lot more later. Actually, you know what? Looking at my notes, I can say with I don't know if I made it certain before, but I can say with certainty that the uh, Pentagon Sling Blade is my dub star moment of the night because my note literally says Penta with the dopest of Tanahashi's. So subconsciously, right. I knew what it was. That's excellent. So we've got we've got two very uh, impactful spots so far as our dope star moment of the night. Yeah, that's the uh, future. Okay, that seems to be the uh, that seems to be the secret is you can drive your opponent's head into the mat with a lot of force. We seem to be fans of it. Yes, um, but I will say, in addition, we we have both chosen spots like that for this week. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the extent of Dope Star Moment of the Night. It could also yeah. be a line in a promo. It could also be a shot in a video package. Those could, those could, those would be other examples of Dope Star Moments of the Night. It could be a commentary call, although that's unlikely. Um, so yeah, those are those are all options for Dope Star Moment of the Night. Though this time we chose some some very excellent moves. Yeah. So up next we have the King Cuerno video package, which kind of introduces us to him. Do you want to tell us a little bit about King Cuerno? So King Cuerno has. What is by far my favorite gimmick in all of Lucha Underground? All of Lucha Underground, all like of right Lucha now Underground. or forever? Forever. Whoa. There are other guys that I like more, like in the story, or is it? The, but it's like just I've never seen any of these guys wrestle before, and you just describe to me what their gimmicks are. King Cuerno is my favorite because Craven the Hunter, as a luchador. It's one of those things that it's so obvious, like you don't like why does not every wrestling promotion have one of these guys running around? Because he doesn't need any explanation to fight anybody. He's a trophy hunter. You're gonna be in my trophy. Boom, story. And he can bounce off like there's so many like animal based luchadors. 
that he can sort of stalk uh, and he can work the like the concept of stalking into the psychology of his matches and he can you know he can pursue titles because titles are trophies and he, he can take things from luchadors like he could do an unmasking gimmick if he wanted to do he could take props from characters so, you know he it's just incredibly versatile it's incredibly simple uh, and it's really easy to understand and very few guys can pull off walking out with a full-on deer head on his head uh, and he does so you know, I got to say, you, you've convinced me. You've sold me. I totally agree with everything you just said. I was yeah. never a big Cuerno guy, but that has just changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, excellent. So what, what do we see in the video package itself? So the video package, it's mostly a lot of him training and doing various things. And most of what we're getting story-wise is from his own voiceover, which I never remembered him talking this much until later seasons. Uh, he's speaking English pretty well, which... Uh, really well. Mildly surprising. I know he's in NXT now as a different guy, uh, but I didn't think he was that fluent at this point. And then it's very young. I've mentioned this before, but I always imagined King Cuerno under mask was like 45 years old. But like he comes off and you're like, oh yeah, this is just a young guy. Or uh, or he just doesn't age one another. Um, but I feel so like... I'll like, oh, go for it. He speaks English so well, I thought they were dubbing him at first. I'm still not 100% uh, certain they're not. I think, so I don't think they are. I, I rewatched yeah. the video specifically for that. Yeah. Um, because I was not, I was like, hold on. I know who this is, and that's not right. Yeah. But it is, because it, was, it wasn't just that he was speaking it really well. He sounded like, like he was from the East Coast specifically. Like, he just sounded like an East Coast person. Yeah. And I was like, is this, like, dubbing over with, like, you know connor with his like multimedia degree from american university like yeah uh but no that's i'm i'm 90 percent sure that's him so that was really fun yeah uh i feel the entire promo can be summarized with basically the last line which is also a really good way to write a promo where he says uh you call me a predator i call you prey and it's like yep okay that's the character good job sold there's my ticket fucking i love it i've said before uh in other places where if uh if i need if you need to promo you have a bad gimmick king cuerno one of those guys where it's like he doesn't need to say another thing for the rest of his tenure at lucha underground and you will 100 percent understand all of his motivations hold on a second <clears throat> but i think i would say that's a controversial take but i understand where you're coming from i don't know yeah. if i would completely agree with it uh but that video package is the catalyst for the match to begin. So mm -hmm. Drago is already in the ring. Uh, he is announced as being, as always, from Inframundo. Yeah. Drago. And then we've got, uh, I, I stopped doing my accent in the middle of saying Drago's name. Drago. Um, King Corno comes out. Matt Stryker says, the hunter becomes the hunted, which doesn't make any sense because Drago has not been introduced as the hunter and King Cuerno is certainly not being hunted. So that line just, Matt Stryker just says words when they come into his head. I don't know. Do you imagine that dragons are uh, herbivores? I mean, he hasn't been <laughs> presented as like a true dragon or as a hunter. Like he's just been, he's homie just came out with, having... homie came out with wings and a, and a, and a black tongue. He's been presented That's... as a dragon. 
that's true but we haven't had any like real exploration yeah. of him as a character we've only seen him All as like right. a good wrestler it's just a fun it's just a fun dumb line that i was like what are you doing right. Matt striker but he does a good job during this match yeah uh as does as is vampiro after yeah, yeah pre- pretty solid match pretty, pretty solid card for both of them uh but anyway cuerno is yoked up he's big uh especially compared to drago this was a great yeah. choice of opponent uh, because Drago is the smallest of the wrestlers, aside from Mascarita, that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, doesn't impact his ability in any way. He's he's exceptional. Probably, um, if you were to rank my favorite, like, luchador luchadors at this point in um, Lucha Underground, it would be Drago at number one, then Phoenix, then Penta. And that stays consistent for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then Phoenix eventually crosses over. But... Um, a short king. He's he's very very fast, and yeah, and he's just very visually impressive because it just highlights how like thickly muscled Cuerno is. Yeah. Cuerno, not a huge guy, but um, very very solid build, and yeah. it's great. Yeah. So at the be at the early stages of the match, Drago is overwhelming Cuerno with his speed, and th- there is great storytelling in this match, and we will get on to that. So yeah, uh, basically. Over the course of this match, Drago starts out by having the advantage, but Cuerno, as like a hunter, learns from his prey as the match goes on. Yeah. So Drago goes for a Hurricane Rana, but he is not able to generate enough power to take Cuerno off his feet. So Cuerno just like basically no sells it and stands still, and uh, Drago is sent uh, sprawling. It's really great. I love uh, that. He then kind of like walks around confidently, but gets absolutely zonked with an Enziguri. And then he fires back up. Big Lariat takes uh, Drago's head off his shoulders. Uh, Matt Stryker says, there's something seductive about the hunt, watching and tracking the prey, which leads me to believe, based on the number of times the word seductive has been used in this match, or over the course of this show, that Matt Stryker had seductive on his like word of the day toilet paper or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or he Drago just doesn't manages. really know what it means. He's just guessing. He's just, he's just excited. He learned a new word and he's excited about yeah. it. And I have had something very similar. I've had similar stuff happen where I just like learn a word and I'm like, yes, that is good. And I'd use it far too much in a single day. Yeah. Drago trips Cuerno into the corner. Uh, Drago goes for, uh, sorry, Cuerno goes for a lariat, but Drago's able to kick it away. He gets a head scissors takedown. He goes for another head scissors, but Cuerno, learning from his opponent, is able to catch him in midair and turn it into a gourd buster. And new cheating, new cheating alert, new cheating just dropped. Yeah. He uses the laces, the exposed laces on his wrist guards on Drago's eye and scrapes the laces against the face of Drago, yeah. which uh, commentary team puts over very, very well. That was yeah. great. Um, it's a good example remember, of Vampiro, like, doing his character well. Like, uh, Yeah, like he, he really enjoyed the brutality of the laces being used. Yeah. Um, while not being like excessively ridiculous with the heel stuff, I think that was yeah. like the perfect balance. I agree. Uh, Cuerno, because he is a bad guy, as as we just saw with the laces, also knocks down the referee, kind of like into Drago's path when Drago's trying to run the ropes. But yeah. Drago, he doesn't hesitate. He uses the referee as a stepping stone to leap up and deliver a big hurricane rana. One thing about Drago's hurricane ranas, which is his primary offense in this match. As yeah. opposed to using them to kind of like throw his opponents across the ring, there's a lot of like verticality. So he snaps downward as opposed to laterally yeah. and spikes his opponents with all of his um, Hurricanranos. And, and Cuerno sells it really, really well. Yeah. Um, Drago sends him to the outside and then hits like a Kenny Omega esque dive. He doesn't get a clean launch over the top rope, but that's just because of his height. 
He yeah. does do a little bit of rope assist with his hands, but the, the move itself is very similar. Yeah. Cuerno is able to get back inside the rope, and um, this was, I mean, I, I can't explain it any better than Vampiro's call and commentary. Cuerno shoots through the ropes like a bullet from a precision rifle, precision, pardon me, and just eliminates Drago on the outside. The force that he slams into Drago's face with is staggering. Uh, he sends him back into the ring. He's about to go for something big, uh, and he kind of like does a big taunt before he does it. Drago is able to recover during that time and does the best move in Lucha Underground, uh, the dragon's tail pitting combination. I remember yeah. the first time I watched this, I had to back it up three times so I could understand what was going on because Drago was moving so quickly to like hook King Cuerno in this incredibly complicated pinning combination. Yeah. He gets the shoulders in like a crucifix position, then grabs one of Cuerno's legs and pulls it back over his own head so that Cuerno has no momentum to kick out and he's pinned. Drago gets out of there before Cuerno can kill him, but Cuerno uh, does the thumb across the throat uh, and walks away very pissed. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, how cool is it that a pinning combination is a finisher? Like, it's, it's, oh, my favorite thing about Drago, uh, besides all of the cool Drago stuff, (laughs) is just that, like, yeah, my finish is an actual thing that you would do if you were wrestling for sport, which is come up with a better way to pin someone instead of just bludgeoning them into unconsciousness. It's um, it's so good. Dragon's yeah. Tail is like I they I think they have I can't remember if that's the name they could settle on because I know they use both Dragon's Lair and Dragon's Tail. I think Dragon's Tail is yeah. what they settle on. I remember Dragon's Tail more so definitely. It also um, looks like a tail, like it it makes yes. sense. Um, which is another thing. Like I don't know if he got really good at that pin before he got the gimmick, or he got the gimmick after he got good at the pin. But it looks so good because it's like. Him and Cuerno both have this way of moving in the ring. And I talk about the connective tissue in the previous match. Where both of those guys could have taken lessons from both of these guys, I think. Where, like, just, like, the way the Cuerno stalks and the way that Drago sort of, like, dashes. and Like, it's very meticulous and, may I say, like, uh, predatory versus sort of yes. very animalistic and erratic. Uh, it's the perfect uh, first opponent for Cuerno having him lose is very interesting I think if I was watching this for the first time I would be like kind of mad because I'm like how'd you not put him over but understanding that this is them setting up him having a he's going after the prey that got away right like it's his white whale or white dragon as it is again you don't need to explain it. You just get it. Um, just works. Yeah, I so I regret your... I regret already solidifying my dope star moment because I forgot that he actually does do the suicide dive and that's and it's the best suicide dive in wrestling. It's but, really good. It's yeah. one of the best in my opinion. I don't know if I would put it at that top spot, but I gave this a three point five Mascaras. I really liked it. Um, thought it was solid. Lacked a little bit of time yeah and it did feel short it, it's clear that like this was a sampling of what they have and it felt like they were holding themselves back in this match yeah um which came through but like what we did get was nice i yeah. we just didn't get enough meat in this match for it to really um exceed that four mascaras level yet 
So I'm going to yeah. give this all 3.5. I'm very conflicted on this because I did. I enjoyed it more than the evilly sexy star match, I think. But okay. it just it just didn't have that chunkiness to it, right? It didn't feel like a full meal. Yeah. So I'll probably also give it a 3.5 uh, Moscos. So what what did you give the opening match? Did you also three point five, okay. three point five. So I'm putting them on uneven territory, uh, which really says a lot about that. Op- like that opening match when I the, watched it through the first time, kind of blew me away. I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, also, we got four matches tonight, which is pretty good for an episode of Lucha Underground. It's busy. It kept me busy. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I was happy about it. Uh, which makes sense because it was a very segment and promo heavy episode last week. Yeah, setting um, up setting up a lot for this week. Um, should we jump into what happens next? Uh, yes, we get a very brief segment with uh Conan talking to uh Pentagon, uh, not Pentagon, Puma, Prince Puma, as he's doing uh knee raises in a dip station, and uh. He's kind of saying what we've sort of heard from him before, where he's talking about not trusting Johnny Mundo, and he doesn't want Puma to get involved in all that business. He even says, he says at one point, he goes, uh, I don't care if uh, if Cortez Castro or Mr. Cisco or the whole locker room comes out, uh, you stay out of it. And one of my, one of, a little piece of comedic gold, he, uh, he goes, are you even listening right now? And Puma just kind of like shrugs at him, like not really. <laughs> uh, furthering that sort of like, I'm gonna hang out with the cool kids, Dad. Like he's smoking behind the dumpster or something. And then uh, this was this was less egregious, but I feel like it kind of fell into the trap that we've had so far of like the Prince Puma stuff just being really repetitive. It's been good, but yeah. it's been just like treading over the same ground over and over again. Yeah. Um. This one, yeah. because of how it plays out specifically, I think is. Yeah, that's that's why I said that this one's yeah. less egregious. Yeah, better than last two because the last two were just Puma's good. Puma is great. Yeah. Look at his abs. Um, and they are great abs. They're great abs. They're not Johnny Mundo's abs though. Best uh, abs no, in the biz. Uh, outside of Tony Nese, who unfortunately never shows up as uh, in Lucha Underground. Boo. My Long Island boy. <laughs> All right. So, and then uh, the way that segment wraps up, uh, Conan basically just says, uh, maybe you can't focus while you're working out and just walks out. It's just an odd note to leave it on. Uh, but then we jump right from there to our uh, main event of this evening. And do you want to break it down for us? I absolutely will. So <laughs> Big Rick is already in the ring. He is introduced by Melissa Santos. His theme song plays, small note, uh, so his theme song starts out different, but then as it progresses, it is it becomes clear that he and Cueto have the same bass line in their theme. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was cool because, you know, references the their connection with the money. Uh, Johnny Mundo comes out, poses big, match starts slow. They both kind of have their guard up, um, which is kind of interesting considering that Johnny Mundo was like, I'm going to put some violence on Big Rick. And he just kind of like hits him with some kicks to the leg at first. 
Yeah. But not like very intense ones. I mean, it's still good. It's a good wrestling match, but it doesn't really align with the story yeah. they were telling before. Mundo manages to get a headlock in, but Big Rick escapes, shoots him off the ropes, and flattens him with a huge shoulder tackle. Mundo starts really creatively avoiding Rick's offense, like sliding through his legs and like flipping out of the way on the apron. It's very cool. Uh, and then is able to get another headlock in, like kind of a front headlock, and hits him with some Muay Thai knees right to the face. But Big Rick hurls Mundo into the corner, uh, splashes him, uh, and then when Mundo starts to go down, he just beats him down with these big overhand strikes. Matt Stryker has a line that I really like where he says, On Skid Row, Big Rick, big Rick could walk down the street counting hundreds, and nobody would step to him. And yeah. that's really good. Big Rick takes Mundo out of the corner with a beel toss, but Mundo in midair flips around and manages to land on his feet. Uh, but Big Rick doesn't care. He comes in, pops Mundo into the ropes, and just stomps on his neck. Nice up and down power slam from Big Rick. Uh, transitions right into a neck crank that just looks brutal when you consider like the, the size of Big Rick's hand on Johnny Mundo's face. It looks like he's going to twist his head off like a, like a screw-up cap. But Johnny is able to escape with, uh, as will be frequently brought up on commentary in the future, those long legs of Johnny Mundo. Yeah. Nails him with some kicks to the top of the dome piece. Uh, Mundo gets up, hits a drop kick to send Big Rick into the corner, and then leaps forward and nails a Superman forearm right to the face. Hits a, bev- uh, a revolution on Big Rick, which I really did not think he was going to hit, considering how big Rick is, but Rick goes yeah. along with it, gets nailed with it. Uh, which is the first time that Big Rick has left his feet in this match, which I thought was an interesting note that was highlighted on commentary. I thought that was great storytelling when you were talking about a big man in a match. Uh, Rick manages to kick out, though, and he goes for that Uranagi that he used when he first showed up. But as he lifts Mundo up for the Uranagi, Mundo's able to escape his grasp, flies, flies through the air, and then bounces off the ropes and hits a rebound Enziguri on Big Rick, making this about the... Uh, 25th enziguri on this show uh lucha underground is a very enziguri heavy wrestling show we have our first new thing which i don't know if this repeats itself but we have a mid-match segment which i'm going to cover just because of how short it is uh where we see puma in the locker room castro cortez and uh mr cisco show up beat the crap out of puma then run out of the locker room and we see that they're running out of the locker room straight towards the ring where they interfere with the match and attack Mundo in full sight of the referee, meaning that Big Rick has gotten a loss by disqualification and Mundo has won. But the numbers advantage gets uh, gets the better of Mundo. There's no Puma to help. The three of them are able to take down Mundo. They set up a table. Uh, Big Rick hits the big Uranagi through the table. It, it, it's a perfect table break. Yeah. Uh, and the show ends on all three crew members posing in the ring together. Yeah. Good match. Solid. I found it a little forgettable. Me too. Um, um, but I think it, it did its job, and especially the ending segment yeah. was really nice, just to continue uh, adding fuel to the fire of the crew versus Mundo and Puma. Yeah. There's a couple bits that I liked. I liked that they sort of set up... Uh, a lot of times when people say, like, oh, he's a street fighter, it's kind of vague. Um, But... Rick in the beginning of this match is actually moving around like sort of like a backyard boxer. Uh, they mentioned Kimbo Slice and somebody else who I can't remember who they come. Matt Stryker made a call. Yeah, and Vampiro complimented him on it. Um, and then I like Johnny Mundo hitting leg kicks. I feel like leg kicks 
should be utilized more as like effective offense in a wrestling match than they are. Yeah. Um, You're I, an MMA guy, right? You like MMA? Yeah. Uh, okay. You also see like Rick actually like sells it a little bit. He like shakes his leg off. Um, I've always had a kind of an issue with the uh, the sentiment that like anytime anybody has like a, a personal feud that they shouldn't do wrestling, that they should just like start out with a brawl. Because I'm like, it's not what happens in real life. And it's why would me being mad make me want to fight worse? You know, um, presuming I'm, it's I'm not saying that I'm not saying fight worse. Not you in particular. Like, it's just it's a very common judgment on matches where it's like this is supposed to be a blood feud and they're doing holds. It's like, yes, because that's how you wrestle a match. Like, <laughs> um, But. um, Yeah, other than that, I thought it was a uh, pretty solid. I want to clarify, I wouldn't have minded if Mundo got in there right away and yeah. like started with the holds. My thing about that is like I think when you have that emotional driver, like that blood feud, yeah. that to me means that the wrestler should start like getting in there right away, whether it's with punches or holds or something. Yeah. But Mundo was really like keeping his distance. Yeah. Um I would have might have even started out with like Mundo attacking rick before the bell like coming in to do his entrance and then like springboarding off the rope and getting in with something you know yeah um i don't know i just felt like he was like it seemed like he was waiting for rick to make the first move at, at some like in the beginning of the match like with when rick has yeah. hands up like he was testing it and i don't know i, I understand yeah. that it's like not as good of a fighting move to like go in recklessly but i think that it would um serve the story well especially with the character of johnny mundo yeah like I said, more of an overall counter criticism than a specific counter criticism. Um, funny enough, uh, I need to Google this, but uh, Matt Stryker refers to the cigar in Rick's mouth as a Dutch, which is either a reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator, named Dutch, who frequently smokes cigars, or. Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator is named Dutch because a Dutch is a word for a cigar, and I just didn't know that until just now. I don't know. It, yeah, there there is some relation there. I know that in the game Ghost Recon Wildlands, yeah, uh, you can you have there you you can equip a cigar as an item, and I believe it is also called um, the Dutch. Yeah. Um, also, as a uh, art quasi semi possibly maybe inconsistent. Random tie to Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Dutch in Predator. Predator uh, being a big inspiration for Robert Rodriguez to make the film uh, Dusk Till Dawn because Predator has the genre switch in the middle where it goes from action to horror and uh, from action movie to sci-fi horror, I should say. And Dusk Till Dawn does a similar thing where it goes from a, like a dr- dramatic crime movie to a vampire film. Uh, also has a ancient mystical temple, presumably Aztec, that has a seedy underground business as its front. Hey, I I know I've seen that movie. It's called Lucha Underground. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, 
just a fun Yo, parallel. Imagine if we got uh, imagine if we got Gangrel in uh, Lucha Underground as our resident vampire. God, the, oh, now I'm upset that that didn't happen. Um, what do you think of the? Um, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the way that the mid-match segment was executed, as well as the beatdown, and how many mascaras you would give the match. Um, I didn't. I think it's kind of fun that we got like in the middle of a match just cut away. Like it's novel, but like all my like pro wrestling brain alarms just fired off. I was like, this this shouldn't have happened. What are we missing? Yeah. Um I I felt similarly, but then you know, I think that um I'm willing to make that sacrifice for the yeah. way that which Underground is presented. And I didn't feel like it harmed the match at all. You know, it was happening during a lull. Yeah. So I it happened like... during the right part of the match. And but. we could, I think we could still hear the crowd noise. So we didn't hear any, like, we, we still ha- had, like, the same, like, kind of, like, dull, yeah. like, uh, 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 you know, there wasn't any, like, spike of excitement. So yeah. even from, like, an audio perspective, it didn't seem like we were missing anything, yeah. you know? And it was, it was fast, and it played directly into the match. Like, if, uh, if this was, like, like, if it just cut to Dario Cueto having a meeting with Conan or something, that would have been, like, hey, guys, what the fuck? But, uh. This this was fine. I thought it was curious that the uh, they did the setup promo with or the setup segment with Conan and Puma, where they're he's trying to dissuade him from interrupting or interfering, and it presents this choice to Puma: Do I interfere or do I listen to my mentor? And then he never gets to make the choice. Uh, I have a conspiracy theory about that. Okay, I think that Conan gave the crew the go-ahead to beat up puma because i think conan could tell that puma wasn't listening to him and he said you know teach him a lesson about like listen you know i'll let you get this free shot on my boy just to teach him what why it's bad to interfere with other people's affairs very interesting that's a very vampiro opinion of uh, conan (laughs) it's true but i think that he's doing it like in in his mind i think he's doing it for the right reasons yeah it's tough love because he's like given him like Puma has put himself out there, basically. Like I think the way that Conan sees it is like I can let him continue messing around with Mundo and eventually suffer the consequences of the full wrath of the crew getting turned on him, yeah. or I can let them get their just desserts now and teach Puma a lesson about why getting involved in other people's business is only detrimental in the long term. Yeah. Uh, but that that is my theory. I don't remember if that gets confirmed or not. But I, I personally believe in that. And honestly, I think he's justified. I think he's justified. Mundo, or pardon me, Puma was sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't get him any benefits. Not going to get him any title shots. Not going to make any friends. You know, there's nothing wrong with supporting your friend. Um, there's nothing wrong with supporting your friend, like, on the outside after their match. But you yeah. can't get involved. You can't do stuff like that. Yeah. In Puma's defense, we are also speaking with the benefit of hindsight. That's true. Yeah. Um, which happens later than I thought it did. I thought we would have been well on our way towards that by now. Um, man, binge-watching binge these episodes really distorted my sense of time. Because, for context, this is a month of Lucha Underground that we've gone through now. Yeah. So. I've, um... The one, the one thing that's happened so far that really tripped me out is I remember El Mariachi Loco happening way later. Yeah. Um, like episode like ten, you know. 
yeah. and I was just surprised that it happened already. That was the one like kind of real mind twisting thing. But how many uh, how many Moscars would you give this match? This this final match. Hmm. Once again, very conflicted because I can't say like anything bad necessarily about it, and there are things that I like, but nothing. Nothing really caught me like it did with the other stuff. So I'm going to give this uh, three mascaras. I'm also going to give it three mascaras. I felt exactly the same way. And that brings my overall rating for the show uh, to a 3.5. 3.5. I'm going to give this uh, 3.75 mascaras because there was, there was no bad match. Right. Um, at least in my opinion, I know you didn't care. You rated the Lucha Brothers match pretty low. Yeah, I was, was a little, like, I was less harsh on it than you were. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it, it was just for me. It really felt like this is. Um, but you did also I go super high. I remember. I remember loving that match when I didn't know anything about wrestling. Yeah, yeah it's a great match for the for the marks. Yeah. yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode of Return to the Temple. I have been Steve. He has been Jacob. If you want to follow along as we journey through this great Lucha Underground adventure together, you can always buy or rent these episodes individually or buy the season on Amazon. And here is where you can find us on social media. Our Twitter is Return Podcast. Our Instagram is return to the temple and our email address where you can email us is RTTT. That's three T's folks. RTTT pod at gmail.com. We hope to see you in the next episode to continue the wild Lucha action. See you later.